morning, Grace Point. Um, as we continue our, our First John series this morning, uh, Pastor Brennan's going to bring the message. And I want to just give you a, a short bit of background. Uh, he was the assistant to Oasis for years under Pastor Ben. And this year, Pastor Ben took over our multiplication uh, leadership for our church. And Brennan's been now uh, placed in that leader position over Oasis. And so he's going to bring the message uh, this morning. I would like to pray for him and pray for Oasis. If, uh, if you'd indulge me for just a moment, would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for Brennan, for his call into ministry, and for his leadership over Oasis. I just pray that you would uh, anoint that whole ministry, Lord. Uh, one of the things that was attractional to me originally to come here to uh, uh, this church was that it was a sending church. And part of the big ministry of sending is Oasis. We realize that most of these college students will go someplace else, Lord. And we gladly invest in them uh, and promoting your kingdom, Lord, and praying that they would go then and become point of light elsewhere, Lord, for your kingdom's sake. And I just want to pray that you would bless that ministry, that you would fill that ministry with the, the person of the Holy Spirit, that he would uh, just anoint it and, 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 and lead it, Lord. And I, I want to pray for uh, Brennan specifically this morning, Lord, that you would uh, put your words in his, in his mind and that he would speak them, Lord, boldly and that we'd have ears in, and hearts that would receive. Um, just bless this moment, Lord, and we give it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Good morning, church. My name is Brennan, and like, like he said, I could give you a little bit more background about myself, but I'm going to get to that. So I first want to ask you this question. What is love? And when I ask the question, I know a lot of us just shot back to the 90s, like, what is love? And that is the most I'm singing this morning. But we, we shot, and Hadaway, when he wrote that song, actually asks a really insightful question. Like, imagine today, someone were to come up to you, a family member, a friend, your child, and they said, what is love? They had no, no construct of it, no idea. They just know this word. Say, so what is it? What is love? What do you say? Like, what, when that person stands in front of you and they ask this question, what's your response? Right there becomes part of what we need to wrestle with today. That it, it's difficult. What is love? And as I introduce myself, I want to, introduce this idea of love because I feel like I've maybe been in love twice in my life. And you're like, this guy really about to talk about his love life. Yeah, we're here. Let's do it. The first one is easy. Go ahead and put that picture up. <clears throat> so this is my wife. We've been married for three years and that's, that's a no brainer. I love my wife. It, it, she's incredible, super gifted, an awesome person. And we're former Jacks alums or current Jacks alums. And so we went to a football game and I wanted to give a shout out to the women's basketball team. Like how incredible is that, that they went and got a national championship. I, I don't have enough connections to actually get in Frost, so I watched from my couch yesterday, but I, I wanted to give it a shout out. So this one's easy. I love my wife. The second one, this one's a little bit more complicated because it happened when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> yes, that should deserve some laughs. But, but here's the thing. I never was one for school. School was boring to me. I went, the teachers, they always kind of bored me. The other students, I was always kind of bored. The subject's boring. You get the gist. This is how it went for me through elementary school. But in fifth grade, it was all different. I woke up in the mornings with a spring in my step because she was there. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but I went to the carousel skate rink because she was there. And I went home and I would get on the computer and you're going to laugh, but I would get on Yahoo Messenger and I would send her messages because she would answer. And she, to this day, is the only one, and I hope only woman I have ever said I love you to besides my wife. 
And it happened over Yahoo Messenger. Uh, but that's the complicated part of love. And that's a silly story, but it actually introduces a little bit of a dilemma we, we wrestle with. That maybe you have a similar like elementary school, middle school, high school, college experience where you were in this relationship and you started to ask, is this love? Maybe you're in a relationship now and you're asking the question, is this love? Here's where it gets really serious. Maybe you're in a marriage now and you're starting to ask the question, is this still love? Now we've hit something there. Because I've only started to talk about romantic relationships. That same word love we use to describe our relationship with God, right? Like this is as Christians, this is how we live. We love God. We use the same word to describe the way we love our families, our friends, complete strangers. As Christians, we're supposed to love them. I use the same word love in the, in, in, in the same breath. I'll say I love Cool Beans and I love the Philly Chase Steak Nachos at Cubby's. Like they are incredible. But do I love cheesesteak nachos like I love my wife? Right? What, what, what is this love idea? What is this complicated, convoluted, confusing love? Because today in our culture, love has become that. It's confusing. It's complicated. It's convoluted. This word, someone asks us, and what do we respond? What is love? And that's where John's going to take us today. That in 1 John chapter 3, he's going to teach us what love is. And so if you have a Bible, open to verse 11, because this is going to be the launching pad for everything we're going to talk about. On these words, what John does here is he, he makes a natural break in his letter that on these very words balances the two halves of everything he's talked about and everything he will talk about. And this is what he says. He says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Right here, these are important words to John. That this is a summary of everything he teaches. If you were to read the gospel of John, it's about loving one another. If you were, were going to read each of his epistles, there's three of them. They're about loving one another. This is a central theme. That it essentially becomes a summary sentence. That as Christians, we love one another. And it's not even just original to John. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew 22. He gave us the greatest commandments and he said, love God and love people. A summary of John's letter in all of Christian life is to love one another. It can be that simple. This whole series we've been in, there's a subtitle up there. It says devoted followers of Christ. You know what that's about? Loving one another. This whole series, we keep talking about what it means to, be an to have our identity as a child of God. That, it's loving one another. But I left off a key piece of information. Maybe you noticed, maybe you didn't. What I've been telling you is that as Christians, we love one another. But John says something slightly different, and it makes a huge deal. What John has told us is the message of Christianity is that we should love one another. And if I was honest with you, which I'm going to be, I've wrestled with this word should all week long. That John is summing up the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus, the most important message of all of human history. It changed the world. Two billion people today claim to be Christians because of this message. And he says the word should. Like what kind of powerful message has the word should in it? Imagine this. I come to you and I'm about to give you parenting advice, which should be a huge red flag because I know nothing about parenting. 
But I come to you and I'm saying, okay, as a parent, you should feed your kids. I know your grocery bill might be kind of high, but not feeding your kids is not an option. Like, that is what it means to parent. What it means to be a Christian is to love, right? But he includes the word should. And when he includes this word, in a subtle way, John begins to address the tension we live in as people. That the inclusion of this should gives language to the tension we live in as Christians. That intellectually, we know we should love. But practically, oof, that can be really hard. Intellectually, we've maybe sat in a room like this, we've opened up the scriptures before, we've heard a sermon very similar to this, and we get the gist, right? Like, Christians love people. It makes sense up here. But practically, when we get out there, or if we get in here, and this is what it means to love, where as a person, I have flaws and baggage and hardship and all kinds of stuff. And so that's me. But then there's another person who's also broken and they have flaws and baggage and hardship and hurts. And in relationship, we start to rub against each other. That's what it means to do relationship. That is why this becomes so difficult. That me and my brokenness am meant to love you and your brokenness. And John says, yeah, you should. And he again to invite us to wrestle with that. The thing we know we should do becomes so hard to do. That is the question today. Yes, it's what is love, but on the flip side of that, it's also the question, how do we actually do this? With that, I want to pray, and then I want to continue to read God's word. Pray with me. Father, thank you this morning for the chance to open up 1 John. Thank you for John's faithfulness to pen this down. Thank you for your spirit guiding and directing through your word. Would you speak to your people? In Jesus' name, amen. So we need to answer these questions. But before we do that, John is going to answer them in a kind of roundabout way. He's going to tell us what love isn't before he tells us what love is. And to do that, he starts in verse 12. He says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. That right off the bat, John has given us the negative example of Cain on what it means to not love. That Cain is not loving. He says, do not be like Cain. And if you're sitting there panicking, like, who's Cain? Never met him. He's in the Bible, and it's found in Genesis 4. And you can flip there if you want, but I'm not actually going to read it to you. Instead, I'd like to describe it to you. That Cain is the first son of Adam and Eve, which means he was the first child ever born on earth. Kind of cool, right? But quickly along comes his little brother Abel. And as far as we know, Cain and Abel had a pretty steady relationship. Like there was no strife or hardship or they didn't butt heads. Like everything seemed to be normal and straightforward. But then this tricky thing happens where Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. And while Abel, he brings his, God accepts it. And he looks favorably upon it and he's excited about it and he he blesses Abel. But Cain's, God rejects it. He just flat out, he doesn't take it, he doesn't want it, he he isn't pleased by it. And scholars have wrote books and books on why that is. I don't have time to explain all that to you. What I need us to know is what happens in Cain when that happens. That something inside of him breaks. That now in his soul, Cain is bitter, angry, hurt, upset, filled with hatred and rage. And that's where we get to the climax of the story. 
Genesis 4, verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. That the second thing John tells us love is not, is love isn't murder. Which again, shouldn't shock us. But I have this temptation when I read the text. That it's the word of God, right? Like, I G-rate everything. Like, it's clean and it's nice and it's not violent. There's no way. Like, it's the word of God. Like, anybody can read this. But scholars actually tell us the murder of Cain to his younger brother Abel was probably more R-rated than it was G-rated. Listen to this. We know that they had a stable relationship. That's what we believe. And so Abel would have trusted his older brother Cain. Now picture, Cain is hurt, broken, filled with rage and anger, and he, and, he, and he directs it at God. But the same time he's directing it at God, he sees his brother Abel, who got the very thing he felt like he deserved. And so every time he sees his brother Abel, what flows from him? What's, what's the burning thing in his belly? It's anger, it's rage, every time he sees his younger brother. And so he starts to write the script, right? He tries to fix it. But the only way to get what he deserved was to take out his younger brother. And so he goes to him. The scripture says he invites him into the field. What's that look like? To go to the younger brother, who's not really probably supposed to be in the field because he's got a different job. What's that look like? What silver tongue does he start to spin to get him and coax him into the field? As a younger brother, he trusted him. And he goes to the field. And as they walk there, Cain knows what's about to happen. Abel does not. What's the conversation like in that moment? Do they small talk because it's the last conversation they're ever going to have, chat about the weather and the field and the work? Or do they just walk in silence? Cold, dead, silence. And when they get to the field, it's believed Cain probably found his murder weapon, which would have been a rock. And you see him scan the field when he gets there, trying to find the rock that is heavy enough, sturdy enough, big enough to murder his younger brother. And as he picks it up, can you feel the coolness of the rock in his hand as he selected his murder weapon? Can you see him eye the back of his brother's head where his hair now stands as a target? And then he attacks him. He jumps on him and beats him over and over and over again. This is the story of scripture that Cain bludgeons his brother in a field. After that, God starts to speak a punishment over Cain. And these words that he speaks, to me, they're bone chilling. This is what God says. He says, your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground. That Cain left his dead younger brother's body to decay and be eaten by wild animals in a field where he hoped nobody would find it. Now that's the story of Cain. And when we come back to 1 John, he tells us, don't be like Cain. (laughs) Okay, everybody take a deep breath, right? Like, Cain, come on. Like, I've got some issues, but stone cold killer in the back alley with a blunt object, not on the to-do list this week. Like, I'm going to be okay. I probably am not going to be Cain, right? Watch where John takes us next. He says this in verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. 
And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Wait a second. Is John really about to tell us that hatred is the same as murder? Yep. And he's not even the only one. The Jesus in Matthew 5 5 said the same thing. In verse 21 and 22, he said this. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus, he says this. Anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, I know Jesus and John probably aren't crazy people. And so they, don't under, they, they, they know that the actions of murder and the actions of hatred, those are not the same, right? They don't have the same consequences. We know that. They know that. But maybe they're not looking at the actions. Maybe instead, both Jesus and John have looked behind the actions. They start to look at the heart of the person who will commit those actions, and they see something similar they don't like. That Jesus and John, they both tell us that love is not found in murder or hatred or even anger. And from there, he takes us back to verse 14. Here's where John says, he says, we know that whoever has passed from death to life because they love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John answers this question that I get a lot of the time as a pastor. What is evidence of salvation? Someone will come to me and they'll say, hey, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I made it? How do I know if I'm going to be in heaven? Or they start to write it for someone else. How do I know he or she is saved? How do I know that? I want to know. I don't want to put it up to chance. And we take them to 1 John 3, verse 14. And we say, we know that people have passed from death, a place where we all were. We were all dead in our sins, stuck in our transgressions with no place to go. But they get to life through Jesus. And life everlasting is by his work and his grace and his cross. And at that place, what happens next is the evidence. We start to love one another. That to be saved by Jesus means you will love others. And there's action there. The call of a Christian is to actively engage in love. But here's the struggle I see. That sometimes we're just settling for tolerating people. And John, he doesn't leave that open for us. He starts to call us out. That the next thing that he says is not love is tolerance. And I know that's a buzzword. So here, listen very clearly here. Tolerance to John means we're just putting up with people. Here's how it plays out. We go to work and we just sit in our office and we clock in and clock out. We go to school. We just sit in our chair. We don't talk to anybody. We live at home under the same roof as people, but all of a sudden we're not even living in relationship. We're just putting up with other people being around in life. That everyone else has their own story, their own script they're writing. Everyone has their own problems and their own things. And I have all my own. And part of that is true. But the call of a Christian is to actively love. He says it like this. Anyone who does not love, who doesn't put love in action, who just tolerates people, who just puts up with people, that person remains in death. As the preacher standing up here this morning, can I tell you I really like Cain as the example. I don't always love tolerance as the example. I can do Cain. That I'm not going to struggle with. That I'm murder. Oh, come on. No problem. Tolerance, putting up with people, not actively loving. I do that all the time. There's this Christian joke 
that maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. I've heard it a handful of times, and I've laughed because I'll explain. The joke goes something like this. It says, I love everybody, but I don't like most of them, right? (laughs) Like, oh, I love people. In Jesus' name, I love them like Christ would love them, but oh, man, I cannot stand X, Y, and Z. I love them, but they are terrible. I can't, how do you get in the same room as them? And I used to laugh. That's funny, right? Because people are broken and messy and hard. John and Jesus have not left tolerance. This love that detaches itself from like, they haven't left that open to us. And we recognize love is not Cain, it's not murder, it's not hatred, and it's not tolerance. But we still need to answer the question, what is love? And to do that, we're going to read verse 16, but only the first half. This is what it says. It says, this is how we know what love is. Here's the answer. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. If you want to know love, if you want to find the example that epitomizes what it means to love, you got to look to Jesus. And in his actions, he plays this out for us. That Jesus laid his life down for us. I want to read you 1 John verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. John says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, that's Jesus. He sent him into the world that we might live through him. This is not love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is the cross. Love is is Jesus. It's who he is. And I want us to key in on one of those last words John said. He said the word sacrifice. Do we recognize that sacrifice is one of the most powerful things love does? Hollywood gets it. I I picked a movie to explain this. And I'm about to spoil it, but the movie's Titanic. And if you haven't seen it, it's older than me, so that's on you. But in the movie Titanic, there's this thing that happens. The boat crashes. That should be a shock to no one. But what happens after that in the movie is really fascinating because the main character is Jack, Leonardo DiCaprio. He's in love with Rose, and they have this powerful connection. It is love. And what happens is what happens in this picture. So go ahead and put that up. In the top left corner, you can see it. That there is a door, right? And Rose fits perfectly on the door, and Leonardo DiCaprio freezes to death in the Arctic water next to her. This is the story. But my struggle is, this is my qualm. Look at all the ways they both could have fit on the door. Like there's no pro- they could have played cards on the door. There's no problem here. But what the directors understood and what Jesus understands and what I hope we understand today is that love, it's epitomized in self-sacrifice. And for Jack to climb on the door alongside Rose, we would not have the beautiful story of love that the Titanic paints us. And without the cross, we don't have the beautiful picture of love that God paints for us. The next thing I want us to recognize is that life is the most precious gift we have. That we can get more stuff, we can get more money, but you will never have more time. That to sit in this room today is an incredible gift from God. He has filled your lungs with breath. He has given you life in your body. And we need to praise him for that simple fact alone. The greatest, most precious gift we ever have. Now when we look at the example of Cain, it changes it a little bit. That Cain maybe commits the greatest sin a person can by taking his brother's most precious gift. But that also should change the way you look at the cross. 
that Jesus gave the most precious gift he had so that we might have life. Jesus is the example of love with his sacrifice on the cross, which is the greatest act of love. He gave everything so that we could have life. I want to give you a definition of what love is. Love is self-sacrifice for the good of another. We see that lived out perfectly in who Jesus is. But we still have a, a whole question to answer. That Maybe I know the answer to what is love, but how do we actually do it? How do we go about putting this into action? Because we know we have to. It's what it means to be a Christian is to love others. And 1 John 3, 16b points us in the right direction. Here it says, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And John connects the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus to the lives we're supposed to live. And he paints this picture of what is self-sacrifice. That's what it means to love. That's how we do it. But here's the tricky part, and maybe you're asking yourself, that Jesus was crucified. That is actually how he laid his life down. Is that the call of every Christian? Are we all supposed to actually physically take up our cross, go out into the field, and be crucified? I don't think so. So what does it look like to lay our lives down? Verse 17 John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And the first thing he points to, to reveal how we should love people, is our pocketbook. John wants to open our bank accounts to show us who and what and how we love. And I'm going to get to that, but I actually want to circle around to it. Because I want to focus on the second thing John says first. That John tells us what love is and how to do it when he tells us to see people. Maybe for you that's kind of confusing because you're like, yes, I wear glasses and I have contacts, but yeah, I see fine. But in John, in the scriptures, don't need to talk about my vision. Like my, my, my doctor does that. But to see in the way John talks about it is deeper than just a physical action. That the word he uses there in the original Greek to talk about seeing is the word the- theorio. Theorio has multiple definitions like many Greek words do. And when John writes this, he combines two of them. And it's beautiful. The first thing Theorio to see means and to perceive with our eyes, the physical act that many of us think of. But the second thing that John is leading us to when he uses this word is to enjoy the presence of another. And so when we're commanded to begin to see people, Seeing to John is not just a physical act, it's a relational act as well. That we see people all day long. We go to work and home, we're here this morning, and we see you. I see you. But am I connected to you? Do I know you? Do I love you? Are we relationally enjoying each other's presence? That's what it means to John to see. I want this to really sink in. And so can we all agree poverty is an issue, right? makes sense. That's a pretty broad one. And in America in 2020, the poverty percentage was 11%. But it's America. Like, there's a lot of tough places, some huge urban areas with lots of poverty issues. Like, Brookings, Brookings is no, no, we are not 11. In 2020, Brookings had 10% of our people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, us, 
10% of us, we were below the poverty line. And I ask us this question, church, do we see them? Do we see the 3,500 people in Brookings who live with a household income of $22,000 or less a year? Do we see them? Not just physically, I'm talking relationally. Do we know their stories? Are we taking time to invest our lives in them? Do we know their, their names? Are we connecting ourselves to these people? Are we loving them the way the scripture calls us to? That's just one example. And with that, I can bring back in the financial stuff. Because we read that, this verse 17, and, and maybe we feel the conviction of the spirit, and so we pull out the pocketbook, and we start to write the check, and we pull out the wallet, and we drop 20 bucks in the offering plate. Like We do these things because it's like, ah, that's what the text says. And for some of us, yes, that's sacrifice. That's what the text is asking you to do. For a lot of us, what I feel like is a greater sacrifice would be to connect and see and love people. To actually see them. And with that in mind, I want to look at the last word to talk about in this verse of John. It's the word pity. John says, if anyone sees a brother and sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And pity is a tough word, right? Like in our context, it can have this negative connotation where it's like, ah, I, I see that. I see you're struggling. Ah, I don't know how you got in that. Like, oof, that is tough. Like, ew, I don't, I wish I wasn't in it. Like, oh, I, I see it. I pity you. Oh, there's, ah, oh, okay. I see that. But pity for John shows up best in the ESV translation of the Bible where he says, if anyone sees a brother and sister in need, yet closes their heart off to them. How can the love of God be in that person? And so pity means we open our hearts back up to the people we actually see. And I love the way these two are connected, that we cannot see people and not pity people. We cannot pity people and not see people. They are hand in hand. And, and to tie it in, empathy is this beautiful word that sums this up. That empathy says, I see you, I see your struggle, I see your hardship, and in that mess, in that murk, in that dirtiness, in that, in that place of struggle, I'm going to step in, and I don't need to fix it, I'm just here to relationally connect with you. My heart is just open to you. That's empathy, that's beautiful, and Jesus does this perfectly. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says this. Because when he, that being Jesus, when he saw the crowds, this wasn't just a physical act for Jesus. When he saw the crowds, because he had compassion on them. Other translations will say he had pity on them because they were helpless, harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. He did it perfectly. The church this morning, I want to ask, do we see people? Are our hearts open to people? We've understood what love is, and it's not Cain, not murder, it's not hatred, it's not tolerance, and we know what love is. Love is Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's the cross. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's the Christian message. It's Jesus. And with all of that in mind, I want to read you verse 18. Here John says, Dear children, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I'll let you into my fear. 
My fear is we listen to a message like this, we see a sacrifice like that, and we do nothing. Because the problems, they're so big. Poverty, how could I fix that? How, could I, how can you and I, how can we solve that? But love in action says, I see you, the person struggling with that, and I can step in and help you. I can love you. As the church, we can't just talk about these things. We need to put love into action, and that's where your application comes in. But look, to see and to love. Who around you, these are the reflection questions. Is there someone around you in your life right now that you're just not seeing? That your eyes have been closed, you're relationally disconnected, and they're hard to love, they're, they're a broken person, they've got all of this mess, their life feels like chaos. Do we see them? And then at the same time, where have you closed off your heart to someone that God may be asking you to open it again? That I realize that's scary for us to open up our hearts in the way Jesus would ask us to do. But the call of a Christian is nothing less. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning for the chance to open your word and to see what John penned a couple thousand years ago. And isn't it magnificent that through your spirit, this word comes alive to us and teaches us what love is. It teaches us love is Jesus. It teaches us just this beautiful thing. And we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for the life that he bought us. And because of all that, God, would you launch us into everywhere that we go, all the places that we have influenced to love people see them, God, to to step in and to relationally connect with them and to have our hearts open. Would you do that for us? Would you make that who we are? Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.